Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates, your host for this edition of Women in Manufacturing. I'm an executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S., and I also run a global supply chain man, uh, consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where we help clients with global supply chain projects and where I also do expert witness work. On these podcasts, we interview accomplished women in business and particularly focused on manufacturing. And we ask them to share their experiences with us. And we're really looking for insights from women leaders that we can all learn from. So today, I'm really, really excited to welcome my guest and my friend, Carrie Wells. Carrie is a partner at Think Inc., a negotiation training and consulting firm. And I've known Carrie for many years, and we've worked, I've worked with her in teaching negotiation workshops and all kinds of approaches for customers to be helpful for them in a negotiating situation. Negotiating skills are so important for people in everyday life, but especially critical for managers and executives. So we have lots and lots and lots of ground to cover today and to explore the possibilities of women in manufacturing. So welcome, Carrie. Well, thank you, Rosemary. Happy to be here. Yeah. So rather rather than going through a, a lengthy introduction, can you just tell us about your background and how you ended up in sales negotiation training and consulting? Yes, be happy to. So my experience, original background career was not in manufacturing. It was in service. So I started with Marriott International. That's a lodging company and started in operations and then moved over to sales. So my career really spanned mostly sales and sales management. And then the founder of Think Inc., which is, a, as you said, the current company, is Brian Dietmeyer. And he and I worked together for many years at Marriott. So he founded Think Inc. in the mid-90s. And at that time, it made some sense to join him. So I've been with Think Inc. since about that time and have worked globally with all kinds of industries. So we work in manufacturing, we work in service, we work in lots of different verticals, as you know, and we work in 47 different countries. Oh, fantastic. What a great little company it is. So, you know, lots of people out there, Carrie, think that they're great negotiators. You know, I've, my boyfriend always you know, expresses how good he is or what a great deal he negotiated and so forth. And when I think all they're really talking about is getting good price, but there's certainly more to it than that, as we know. And there's a specific Think Inc. negotiation strategy and skill set and methodology that's taught. And we know that the Think principles are simple, but the execution's not so easy. It requires lots of lots of practice. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a kind of a short overview of the principles of the thinking methodology and how it's different from other approaches? Yes, I can. Although I want to start with a story because you just reminded me, given your example of your boyfriend thinking that he's a good negotiator. So when I was with Marriott, I never thought I was a very good negotiator. So I knew I was good in sales, but I didn't think I was such a hot negotiator. And that's primarily because growing up, if you will, in the hospitality industry, you are taught to abdicate for the customer. You're taught to do the right thing for the customer. And as such, 
that meant giving away stuff. So we were constantly giving away all kinds of value to lots of the customers. And as a result, that made me think, wow, I'm really not so good at the skill. And I think there's a lot of people in this world who feel that same way. So then moving over to Think Inc. And what I learned was that, yes, you can employ a common process, a common methodology, turn in a good negotiation for yourself or your organization, and also advocate for the other side. And once I learned that, I thought, wow, this is really a breakthrough. And so in essence, it takes the guesswork out of negotiation. So I find that in this world of negotiators, people either think they're really good or they stink. There does not seem to be any real middle ground. So the goal is to, as I say, take that guesswork out of negotiation and purposely plan. So let's talk about the methodology that Thinking employs. And it is meant to be a common process, more of a planning process than anything. And so the background is this, that, that our original founder, his name is Dr. Max Bazerman, and he's currently at Harvard, and it's through his research, his evidence of studying thousands of street-level negotiations that we understood there are patterns to how people negotiate and how people flow a negotiation through your head. So this is why we call it a blueprint. And it's repeatable, it's easy, it's sustainable. And how it even gets easier is that they're just three concepts. And would it help Rosemary to go through to just summarize those three concepts? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, it's sort of a unique approach. And we're talking about skills here, building skills. So not just having, you know, you're born with negotiation skills. This is really a methodology that you can learn Right. Yeah. And I think it would be helpful to go through kind of those basic components. Yes. Good. Okay. Great. So, again, there's just three. So, it's not meant to be complex at all. It's just meant to help one organize their thinking around any negotiation. So, the first is called consequence of no agreement. And that is through the lens of so, what happens if there's no negotiation? What's my alternative if I'm on one side? And what's the other side's alternative? And this is where power comes from. And most negotiators get wrapped up in their own side and spend way too much time on their own side. And so in addition, we often tend to overestimate the other side's power. That's a common occurrence. So the study of consequences of no agreement is going to help us determine what our own alternative is and what the good and the bad things are of that alternative. And then moreover... So let me just ask here. So determining who has the power, is we always assume that the other side has the power. Is that kind of what you're saying? And that we need to think through what their requirements are, what they're interested in, and that yes. gives us power? Well, yeah. So we may not, may not be that we always assume the other side has the power. It is a common occurrence. So we don't know who has more power until we can analyze and, and diagnose what is the alternative. So a negotiator is going to say yes to us if, in fact, we can prove that we can meet their needs, lower risk, higher confidence than the alternative. It's all about those last three words, than the alternative. So this means that we have to be well-planned. 
we have to research, we have to do some good analysis around what that alternative really means. Are they going to go to another competitor? Are they going to attempt to do it themselves? Are in fact, will they do nothing? And so this analysis does take some time, but if it results in growing courage in a negotiation, then it is well worth it. So it's sort of doing your homework for a negotiation instead of just walking in cold, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So the process is all about planning. And I will say that that most people believe that negotiating is that thing that happens when you are, quote, at the table, at the end of a cycle, whatever, you know, buy cycle, sell cycle, whatever cycle that may be, it happens at the end of cycle. And so we very much believe that it doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, if you're waiting until you're preparing when you're at the table, it is in fact too late. You have, you probably lost some of your leverage and you certainly have put, put yourself in a reactive situation. And when we are in a reactive situation, we tend to give stuff away. And so, yep. So it's all about the planning. And then that flows into the second concept, which is this notion of trades. And so if the first concept talks about, well, what happens if there is no negotiation? And then the second concept talks about, so if there is going to be a negotiation, how do we have a successful negotiation between two parties? So this is the idea of trades, because we want to grow the size of the negotiation. We want to grow the worth of the negotiation first before we divide it. So we do that with trades. That is, let's get all the moving parts first of a negotiation on the table, not just say price. So in the case of a buyer and supplier, it may just be price. Or in the case of a career negotiation, it might just be salary. Or in the case of an internal project management team and another internal business stakeholder, it might just be the timeline of that project. So trades teach us to look for negotiation components that are lower cost to one side and higher value to another. Well, that's so interesting because I guess it means that in every situation that we're looking to get something, we need to think through what we might be able to trade off, right? Instead of just asking for a, a salary increase, we need to talk about what we give in return. In other words, we'll work harder or we'll take on more responsibility or something like that. So it's a trade like that, right? Yes. And I'll give you some other examples. So you're absolutely right. What this does help with is concession pressure and avoids giving in without something in exchange. So for example, in a buyer supplier negotiation, perhaps price could be addressed through a buyer agreeing to more or let's say quarterly innovation planning meetings or longer contract length, better payment terms, right of first refusal, introductions to other parts of the company, that kind of thing. And to your point, in the case of a salary negotiation, it could be very specific trades because we do teach let's get finite and let's look to measure some of these things. So it could be bonus. It could be a team bonus. It could be tuition reimbursement, 
professional development courses, formal mentoring program, childcare, health, fitness. And now that everyone's officing out of the home, maybe there's some additional flexibility with the hours. Maybe there's some additional flexibility with childcare, that kind of thing. So all of these things potentially could be traits. That, that so, so in a more industrial setting, and that's great, and that really helps us understand, but in a more industrial setting, like in a purchasing department, a buyer is working with a supplier, and normally you know, a buyer would be focused on getting the best price. But what you're saying is if you think about what else you could trade for it. So from a buyer's perspective, they are looking for the best price, but then they might be willing to trade off faster payments in the uh-huh. trade term or access to you know the engineering staff internally in your company, which are usually very protected by the buyer, right? The buyer's not going to let the supplier talk to your internal people, uh-huh. right? But you uh-huh. could let them do that if there's a price concession on the other side or there's some other concession on the other side, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it is about understanding the other side's needs. And so part of the analysis should dictate a good conversation of what is going on in the other side, what's important to the other side, what is it that that supplier really wants to do within that manufacturing organization and procurement? How can you help make that possible while also getting a better deal for yourself. That's precisely what trades are. Yeah. Yeah. So trades teach us to place a value on all of these negotiation components. So we're not giving away that value, but consistently claim it. Now that doesn't mean you always have to charge for it, but it does mean let's take credit for it. Yeah, that was that was my next question. So if I'm a buyer and I'm getting a price concession from a supplier because I've told them we'll set up, you know, an engineering workshop where you can come and talk freely to the engineers about uh, needs and wants and direction and roadmap and all that. That doesn't really cost me anything on my side. I just mm-hmm. have to arrange the meeting with the engineers. But it's valuable on the supplier side, right? Yes. So they're trading off a price concession for access to my engineers. Yes. So low cost, no cost things are a really great trade. And so that's one excellent example. Other examples could be if I am a supplier and you are my buyer, can we talk about giving references for my company? Can we talk about writing a case study, a return on investment case study or something that would really mean a lot to me? Could I use your logo on my website? So these are things that, as you say, are low cost, no cost. And yet they do mean something back to me. Those are excellent trades. Yeah. So if I'm selling as part of the sales staff in a company, then I can try to offer something of value to my customer in exchange for something that I want, right? So I want a higher price. And in exchange for that higher price, I offer my customer some additional services or access or something like that. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Or yes, maybe more customization or a specific dedicated service rep or a dedicated project manager or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Or on the other side, if I'm willing to give a price concession as I'm selling to my customer, 
in exchange, I might ask for something, right? Like use of their logo on my website. So if I'm, you know, negotiating with FedEx, for example, I'm selling to FedEx. Say I'm a software vendor and I'm selling to FedEx. And FedEx allows me to use their logo on my site as a customer. That That's valuable to me, mm. right? Yeah, so there is a litmus test. So there is an acid test, which is this. So if you are going to give something in exchange for getting something in return, it should be equal or greater value back to you. So we joke about people who learn how to trade, but then they give away things that in return is less value back to them. That's a bad trade. So you don't get points for bad trades. You get points for good trades because it's all about turning in a better negotiation. So this is why the preparation ahead of time and quantifying what some of this value means to a company is really important. So you can be clear okay. ahead of time. And you said there was a third component. Yes. And so the third component is multiple solution options. And in essence, this teaches us that, that let's give the other side not just one option, but three. So three options that package those various terms or trades that we just talked about into three different choices and options that, that span the full range of the deal components. And as I say, they're packaged together. And so what they do is help the other side shore up their thinking, and it really helps to speed along a negotiation. Oh, okay. So doing your homework, right, understanding what the other side wants and how you use that in your negotiation, figuring out what the best trades are, and then offering multiple different solutions or different alternatives. Is that it? Yes, that's exactly right. Ah, easy. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. You know, having worked with you, I know that it is easy. I mean, the ideas are pretty easy. Everybody nods and says, "Yes, we understand." But in practice, it's a little more difficult than that, and it requires some practice and and skills. I think that you develop through through learning, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So another part of the business, the thinking business is Think 5600 Consulting Services. Can you tell us that? Yes, exactly. So 5600 Blue is a new division about four or five years old, and you were part of the team that we established this new service for. And it is meant to be an end-to-end, now mainly it's for sales organizations, and it's an end-to-end system sales process from qualify down to close. So the back end part of that is our legacy content of negotiation, but it does span the, the whole service. And it's new, well, it's differentiated in that it's extremely customized and it steps up to the current demands of the marketplace within most sales organizations that buyers are well ahead of salespeople in terms of how they are gathering data, with the help of technology and how they are moving along the buy cycle in their own way and often without the salesperson. So this teaches salespeople to take another look at what kind of information is critical to engaging the buyer early on and then all the way through. That's so interesting because I see that trend, I think, across business and particularly in supply chains. 
a lot these days. So it used to be uh, we went after, you know, price and delivery essentially. But now the use of data and understanding complementary products, understanding the histories and shortages, and there are so many aspects to a particular situation that we never considered before. I mean, you know, we were just out there blindly <laughs> moving forward. It kind of makes me wonder how we survived, you know, 25 <laughs> years ago, because it's, the environment's so different today based on information. Yes, yes. And even that said, Rosemary, I remember just a good quote that said, there's bad buying, just like there's bad selling. So buyers certainly need help in optimizing a purchase, and they are willing to engage with the salespeople. The salespeople, they have to really bring them value earlier on, and that's the difference. So it's a huge 180 from the days of old where salespeople could show up and just say, hey, what are your needs and what's on your mind? They, they better show up knowing precisely what's in front of that buyer and be in a position to engage them with them not only earlier on, but in a far more meaningful way that will help them and almost guide them through a really good experience. Yeah, I mean, one of the other things that we're finding in parallel, you know, and this comes up in discussion from time to time, is there's a an uptick in sophistication, at least on the buying side in organizations. So it used to be a buyer was almost an admin function where, you you know, telephone three or four suppliers and you got price and delivery and so forth. Today, I, by and large, the new people that are coming into buying roles in supply chain organizations are MBAs, people with sophisticated computer skills and approaches and thoughtful understanding of the integration of purchasing into the organization in a way that is almost startling. I mean, it's kind of amazing to be dealing with the people now that think globally and think in an integrated way and functions across the organization. And I think you're probably finding the same thing on the sales side for salespeople selling to companies as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly right. And so if that is the new trend and the new norm, then on the sales side, they have to be as knowledgeable and as prepared so that they can carry not only a good conversation, but as we say, guide the buyer toward a good journey toward optimizing a purchase or why would they engage with them? Yeah, right. Yeah. So Think 5600 is more on the consulting side, developing the, that kind of information and approach as a result of that information gathering? Yeah. So content is the key of what 5600 Blue does. So we customize, design specific content for every step of that new sales cycle, which correlates with that buyer journey. And uh, that is a huge differentiation. So. Why is it named 5600 Blue? Why is it called that? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, if you remember, because you were part of this team, we use Blue Ocean Strategy as part of our roadmap toward understanding what, how do we literally create new demand within the marketplace and how do we capture that? And so I think we went round and round with some marketing names and we finally landed on 5600 Blue. So, Carrie... Why is the company named 5600 Blue or the service name 5600 Blue? 
Yeah, so through lots of different fun marketing names that we came up with, we finally decided on this name because 5600 is the temperature by which a flame will cut through steel, and it is a blue flame at that point. Now, this isn't Fahrenheit, by the way, so those of you who are joining us from outside the country, I apologize because that's not in Celsius. And so it was always meant to be targeted, precise, and just, you know, cut to the core of what we're trying to do. Isn't 5600 the tip of a welding iron? Well, that's a good question. I don't know about welding, Rosemary, but it does, It we do know that that that's the temperature that the flame needs to be as a, yeah, as it cuts through. So sure, I think it is the same. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so interesting. It really creates an image, right? Yeah, so our logo does have a blue flame attached to it as well. Ah, okay. So when people are in a negotiating situation, so we've talked through the approach, the three fundamentals, as well as the use of data, the uptick, and and sort of new education or educated approach um, to negotiation. But when people are in a negotiating situation, this is probably most of the time in the world in general, and they don't use a strategy or methodology, and they're simply doing homework, say a buyer, for example, does its homework and they know the history of the buy and they know, you know, something about the supplier and so forth. So they've done that kind of homework, but they don't have a strategy or a methodology. Can they still be successful at at working in negotiation? Yeah. So Rosemary, I would say, sure, they can, but they're relying on instinct and luck. And we cannot teach people to be lucky. It's I, really, not, I used to have a, a sign that said, luck is not a strategy. Yeah, luck is not a strategy. Right, right. It's not a sustainable business strategy. Exactly. So we like to think that as opposed to just hoping that you're lucky and hoping that your natural instincts kick in, do the right thing, which is to plan and have a strategy. And it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be really cumbersome. It can be pretty straightforward. And that's exactly what we teach is this rock solid step-by-step yet simple blueprint for organizing anyone's thinking around any negotiation at any time. So, you know, someone could be successful in negotiating a better price or a deal, but it works consistently, I guess I would say, if you have a methodology and a strategy before you ever walk into that conference room or talk to someone on the phone or whatever. Yeah, your chances are certainly going to go up. So the other things that I remember and know are that negotiation doesn't start when you walk into the conference room either, right? It really is a, it's a preparation and behind the scenes approach and doing a lot of digging and background and planning and so forth. The negotiating room at the end of the process is really the end of the process and not the beginning. Yes, and often it takes other stakeholders within one's organization. So if it means that you need to engage other stakeholders in other functional areas because you need them, whether it's their resources or their talent or whatever it may be, you are best to plan ahead of time so everyone's on the same page. And that's exactly what a strategy is all about. And then the process helps you pull that through to execution so that you are 
you are executing a better deal. And so the good news is with a common process, and this is what we know with any process, that if we do it over and over again, it gets so much easier and then it becomes pretty intuitive. And that's the hope that with good practice, you stated that earlier with good practice, it can eventually become intuitive. And so we help our clients with that as well. Part of the implementation piece of it is heavy coaching and heavy adoption, which is really in sum about the practice. Can you give us some examples of companies that have deployed you know, this kind of methodology and had success as a result? Sure. And I'll address that maybe in a street level way. So think about a five or 10% gain with any negotiation that someone might be in front of. So with many of our clients, that could be measured by way of increased revenues and increased margins or, or cycle time reduction or account receivable improvements. And we are good at consistently helping clients measure leading and lagging success indicators because that's really important to identify at the beginning of an engagement and then measure at the end. And we do have a pretty good track record. So with our customers, we typically see an ROI of 500 to 700%. Wow. Yeah. And another reason is we are not okay, now this is not a slam on some of my, um, you know, our other consulting firms in the world, but we're not the big Accentures of the world. We're not the big McKinsey. We do not have the price ticket as some of those large consulting firms. We are a niche consulting firm that does really good work and helps to turn out very similar results. So can you, in a general way, describe some of the negotiation successes with your clients that use our, the thinking methodology? Sure. So Microsoft, Google, Rider Truck, Cuna Mutual, as I say, they all measure. So they have their own specific lagging indicators that they will measure. And I gave you just a few earlier. So depending on what it is that an or so depending on what functional area we're working with, whether it's sales, whether it's procurement, we look at what is it that you want to move the dial on, and then what are those behaviors and activities that we can attribute to this negotiation process that we need to focus on. And we don't have a long list of them. We do suggest that clients only go with three or four because we have to get very specific. Three or four measurements you're talking about. Three or four measurements. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Have you helped one of your clients through a specific negotiation? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, plenty because as part of my role as a partner, I do help in coaching. I'll just, I'll tell you the story. And a lot of our, you know, the story specifically uh, get confidential around the world of negotiation. But I will tell you that I have seen sales organizations with so Nalco water treatment is one something that comes to mind. And what's really rewarding is being in a session where we have a team and we're working through the strategy of that, say that customer negotiation and about to implement the process. And in the span of you know three or four hours as the work continues, you literally see the confidence rise in the room as people understand, wow, we have more power than we thought we did. And look at all these trays we hadn't thought about. And then how do we put this all together to 
give our customer options that we think there are going to be compelling and that they'll be very interested in. And so that's the best part of it. So the success metrics from, say, a, an increased revenue or an increased margin of that deal is into itself great, of course. What I find more joy in is the courage and the confidence that you can visibly see within the team as they begin to execute the strategy with success. Oh, that's fantastic. I think I, you know, I've seen that too, and I hadn't really ever thought about it. But the more you help people build skills and they become more confident, the more successful they feel. And, you, you know, it just adds to the overall success of the deal or the operating environment and so forth. So really interesting. Mm. So what's next for thinking and Think 5600? Well, so for 5600 Bloom, we will continue to drive demand and to get our marketing and our brand out since that division is really only about four years old. And so we continue to do that. And with our legacy content, which is Think Inc., we hope to continue to help individual and companies take the guesswork out of negotiation one negotiation at a time. So that's our goal going into 2021. So in this weird time, you know, nobody's going to uh, in-class kind of workshops and stuff. Do you offer an online program as well? We do. We offer on-demand modules as well as consultant-led instruction, and whether that's one day or two days. But yes, we have converted all of our face-to-face instruction into a virtual environment, which was not hard, really. Cool. So, Carrie, thanks for joining us today and talking a little bit about this fascinating topic of negotiations and all of us in our everyday lives, as well as in our manufacturing lives and other business situations. We're negotiating all the time. so It's really interesting to learn about it and to understand that it's a skill and not just something you're born with. I got to tell my boyfriend that, that he needs to build skills around negotiation. We'll we'll see how that goes over. But if if people are interested in contacting you or the company, Carrie, can you please give us your contact information? Yes, you bet. So my contact information is Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E dot W-E-L-L-E-S, like Sam, at Think, T-H-I-N-K, 5600.com. So all together, it's carry.wells at think5600.com. And that's the best way to reach me. And Rosemary, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I appreciate being on. And sure, look forward to more conversations in the future. And if you have if any of the listeners want to get in touch, feel free to do so. Okay. And the website, is it think5600.com? That is correct. Okay. Great. Terrific. Well, thank you, Carrie. It's been a pleasure today for me as well. You can listen to more podcasts on the Women in Manufacturing website, which is www.womenandmfg.com. So www.womenandmfg.com. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org. 
and visit our website at www.reshoreinstitute.org where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.